0: So this morning, um, we get we're going to finish up Acts twenty three. So we're going to start in verse eleven and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, if y'all remember last week, we uh, Paul recognized he had a group gathered there who definitely wanted him him killed, and, and we have all these issues with with this mob. But there were he perceived there were Pharisees and Sanhedrin there, and so. Basically, they were divided over the resurrection. And so, you remember, we had that, 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 that was going on. And so, um, today we pick up in verse 11, um, and we're going to finish out the chapter. So that's, that, that's the context. That's where we're at. So let me, let me read these verses for us together. Again, Acts 23, chapter, starting in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we may eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with this council, suggest... To the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister heard of their ambush, he went, excuse me, when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say. And the commander took him away by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is, that, <clears throat> what is that that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath They will neither eat nor drink till they have killed them. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea in the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner. To the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for this man, I sent him immediately to you. And also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. (coughs) Excuse me. When they came to Caesarea, they had delivered the letter to the governor. They also presented Paul to him. When the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And he understood that he was from Cilicia. And he said, I will hear you and your, when your accusers have also come. And he commanded him to, keep, to be kept in Herod's peritorium. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, again, as we open your word and we ask that you be with us here today, uh, we pray that we will learn from your truth and learn how to apply it in our lives today. And we pray that you will uh, change us uh, because we're here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, as we started last week, um, Paul has been in custody. And while his uh, freedom may be over, clearly his ministry is not over. Um, this is, uh, Dr. Sproul spent some time kind of introducing uh, this and kind of wanting to. Put ourselves maybe in Paul's position here for a minute. He's been on the mission field for over 20 years. Um, he knows difficult times lie ahead uh, imprisonment and possibly death. And <clears throat> as he found himself in prison, in chains, um, had, what had he been thinking? What would he have been thinking? Is, could he have been thinking, well, you know, is my ministry over? Is this it? Is this the end of my ministry here on earth? Uh, Would there ever be any more fruit of the ministry that God has given him? And uh, Dr. Sproul asked the question, he said, have you ever felt that way? Or do you ever feel that way? Based on certain circumstances in your life. um, That uh, something has happened and you may feel like your ministry is over. Um, After Calvin was banished from uh, Geneva, he was sent to Strasbourg. And he ministered to a church there of about 300 and he called this his little church, is what he referred to it as, his little church in Strasbourg. Um, and, you know, as he was teaching and preaching there, uh, this is part of uh, Sproul's introduction, who, who would have thought that people today would still be translating his sermons, okay? Translating his sermons and his lectures over 500 years later. So who would have thought that, you know, this, this circumstance of life in Calvin's life, um, banished, sent to a little church, teaching and preaching, but continuing. But who would have thought 500 years later, his ministry still has fruit, it's still bearing fruit. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards, uh, many years of faithful service up in Northampton. He was, if you remember the circumstances surrounding his uh, ministry, he was fired based on uh, false reports, based on slander, and uh, then he was basically exiled from that town. Uh, he went on to work with the Indians, and while he was working with the Indians, he wrote a book called *The Freedom of the Will*, which I've never read. Has anybody read that book? Okay, I see some. I, I, I need to put that on my list uh, because uh, Dr. Spruill said it's one of the most ten that one of the ten most important classics of all Christian history. So I need to add that one to my list. But he could, again consider Edwards, consider this banishment, consider slander. He's sent to go do something else, but. Then, while there, he writes this very, very important book. Okay, not, obviously, it's not Scripture, but very important in Christian history. Um, Then Sproul asked, you know, who knows when God is going to be finished with you? Who who really knows? And none of us do. We don't know when He's going to be finished. And who knows from us what the impact from your life and testimony will be? We really just don't know. There are so many things, you know, as we go about our daily lives... so many times we have interactions with people we, we exchange conversations we have relationships we, we say a kind word we share the gospel we, many times we are we never see the fruit okay it, life goes on and, and God may and I'm sure does a lot of times more than we ever think those amazing things with little encounters that we think maybe are insignificant but we know God is working in and through all of those little things every day that's why every day and every minute is so important that we don't waste our time you know, with idle things, that we are productive in life. Sproul mentioned that uh, years ago, Sinclair Ferguson visited uh, St. Andrew's Chapel and told them about his own conversion. Uh, he said, uh, Dr. Ferguson said, he was led to Christ by a man who had been converted by the witness of a, of a woman typist. Okay, remember, we used to have those. Remember people who just... That's all they did was type. We transcribe things. Remember, he said this. So, 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 Doctor Ferguson was led to Christ by a man who had been led to Christ by a woman typist. Okay, well, what, what's going on here? Well, that man had, I guess, either been had some involvement in a work relationship or supervisor or something. Had listened to the sounds of her typing. Okay, the way she did her job. Okay. And he thought, why why does this type of seem to be so much more consistent than all the others? Why why does she she seems to just maybe just she does it differently, she does it better. Well, she found out or that that man, excuse me, the one who led Ferguson to Christ, he found out that she was a Christian. And she dedicated her typing. As menial as a task you might think that would be. Okay? It used to be obviously very important. That was a still is but i guess we don't have many typists today but this woman dedicated her type into the kingdom of god and to his glory she did it as unto the lord just typing right seems really simple how how could one do that how boring maybe that job could be but she saw it as a ministry and she dedicated that her time she did it as unto the lord and so this man he was led to Christ by her because of her testimony, the way she did her job. Okay, so again, who would have who would have thunk it, right? Who would have thunk it that a woman dedicating her job as a typist, because doing it for the sake of the kingdom, will lead a man to Christ, and then that man would lead Sinclair Ferguson to Christ. Okay? Now, there are no big Christians and little Christians, but we all know that. God has used, uses all of us uh, to to do wonderful things in his kingdom. But you can just, just simple little connections, simple little things, typing, doing it as unto the glory of God. Uh, Dr. Sproul added uh, to, he says, one of his church members, uh, after recovering from a serious illness, uh, returned to church and then told him that her suffering had made her feel something like a Samson, in a sense. And she, her point was that you know, in Samson's life, even though his eyes had been gouged out, his mission wasn't over. He still had work to do. And she went on to say that I think the Lord's trying to show me how, that I need to be more sensitive and compassionate for others who are in pain and in sickness. And that I hope that God will use me in that area. Again, she could have looked at that, looked at a, a, a an illness, a hospitalization, whatever, and, and just say, "Well, I was totally unfruitful." You know, it was a, just an unfruitful part of my life and a time in my life. But she saw it as a time that she thought God was teaching her and showing her how to minister better to people who were in pain and suffering. Well, <clears throat> this introduction that Sproul made, um, he uses that to say this must have been somewhat how Paul may have felt. Okay, now, uh, he, he may have felt as discouraged as he may have been. He still had work to do. And so why, why do we, why, why can we think that maybe at this time Paul feeling discouraging? Well, it's because of what happens in verse 11. Right? It's what happens in verse 11. Verse 11 says, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. Remember again the great commission that Jesus himself gave to his disciples. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, that commission was given to Paul as well. And we see here, this is Jesus coming to Paul and encouraging him once again. Um, <clears throat> the... Uh, the, the New King James says that um, the Lord stood by him, is what, is what we see here in verse 11. And uh, Sproul added that the English translation really doesn't communicate the force of what actually happened here. It uh, says that he stood by him, and Dr. Sproul said that's a weak translation. Okay, so it just sounds like he just, it's just two guys standing there. Now, Okay. Men, Jesus. Okay, I don't mean to belittle him, the Son of God. Right, just standing there, having a conversation with Paul, just like two people standing there. We said that's weak. The Greek words that were used indicate Jesus came in a sense and he overshadowed Paul. Okay, much more, a much larger, you know, powerful presence. Not just two men standing there. Much, Much overshadowed him. He says his his presence was enormous. So Paul is by himself. He's in the cell, and the risen Christ came over and hovered over him, and said, "Be of good cheer." That that must have been amazing. It must have been absolutely amazing. The risen—I mean, just in, in a, just an enormous supernatural um, presentation of Jesus Himself, the risen Christ there. Just overshadowing Paul, just, you know, wow, just encompassing him and saying, Paul, be of good cheer. Those wonderful words from his Savior. The Latin translation uses a word that is the foundation for our English word constancy. Okay, so this this be of good cheer. Okay, that's what we're referring to. This be of what Jesus said. Uh, it was it was no simple hey just cheer up Paul get over it you know, it, it was it was more than that okay it was uh, Jesus was trying to say to Paul be constant be consistent is the words that, what Jesus was trying to communicate to Paul you, you've Paul you've you've been faithful twenty years of ministry mission trips death uh, fear of death uh, you know all these trials that you have been through and. Jesus was saying, You stick to the ministry. Remain faithful to the ministry that I have given you. Be constant. Be consistent. And of course, that is a message that we all need to hear. And this is just how Jesus encouraged his apostle. Just in a time that maybe he thought, Is my ministry over? My freedom's gone. Is this it? Is this the end? Jesus reminded him, It's not. It's not the end. It is not. The end be constant and be persistent in your ministry. Now, if everyone excuse me, if anyone was ever consistent, it was Paul. But we see Paul was just a man at the same time. And so Jesus meets with him in order to shore him up. Okay, he's here to shore him up, to give him strength, to give him encouragement. Uh, Calvin, this is a little bit longer quote from Calvin, but he had some wonderful words to say uh, about this verse, um, <clears throat> again, it's a little bit longer quote, so forgive me. But this is this is Calvin. He says, "Therefore, uh, let us learn that even in the most extreme afflictions, to stay ourselves upon the Word of God alone, and let us never faint so long as He quickeneth, quickeneth, quickeneth us with the testimony of His fatherly love." Sorry, I couldn't get that out. And because oracles are not now seen from heaven, neither doth the Lord by himself appeareth by visions, we must meditate upon his innumerable promises, whereby he doth testify to us to be nigh unto us continually. He's with us continually. If it be expedient that an angel come down to us, the Lord may not even deny this kind of confirmation. Nevertheless, we must give this honor to the word. That, being content with it alone, we wait patiently for that help which it promises us. What's well, in short, right? Calvin saying, "Okay, the Lord doesn't make these appearances anymore. Okay, we haven't seen that. It doesn't happen this way. What is what is what is what is the takeaway? What is our focus when we find ourselves in situations like Paul would have found himself in? The Word of God alone." being faithful to the Word. Our focus must be on that. If if we're sitting, if we're discouraged, if we're sitting waiting on a Word from the Lord and we're ignoring the Word, then we make a grave mistake because you, He's probably not going to overshadow you like this. He's probably not going to appear to you like He did in, to Paul in this prison. And if that's what we're waiting on, we are making a grave mistake. We have the Word. And that is our encouragement. His promises to us, because the promises that Jesus gives to His apostles and his disciples are the same for us. Okay, those 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 promises of God are the same to us, and we find our encouragement here. We find that those be of good cheer. We're we're we became we're becoming overwhelmed. We we think our ministry is over. Be of good cheer. Be be constant. Continue in the ministry which I've given you, because all of us. Okay, we're not apostles, but we have a ministry. Each one of us has a ministry that we are given. And we're called here to be constant and focus upon uh, the Word of God. Let's continue on. Uh, Verse 12, it says, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now Luke tells us that these men were so convinced that Paul must die... That they took a vow, a vow not to eat until he was killed. Uh, This was about 40 men. Now, these men were zealots. They were the terrorists, the religious terrorists of the time. Uh, They were furious. One thing, first of all, they were furious about Roman occupation. They hated the fact that the Romans had occupied uh, the area, the region. Um, They hated the Sanhedrin. Uh, They hated the scribes and the Pharisees because they were convinced that the Jewish authorities had betrayed them. So you have a very upset group of people, militant, willing to take life and and take matters into their own hands. Um, Even though they hated the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, who, remember, those are the group that want Paul killed, right? Even though they hated them, in this case, they had a common enemy. So they were willing to make a deal with them. They both want to get to Paul. So, you know, that's, they're, they're willing to make a deal. They have a common goal here. Um, you know, today we hear about terrorists who are willing to strap bombs to themselves and go in and commit all kinds of horrific acts of suicide, suicide missions. It happens all too often. Uh, remember the kamikaze pilots in, the, in World War II, they did the same thing, right? They would just fly their, their plane right into an enemy ship or a naval ship and to trying to destroy it. Did crazy things, okay? Just did suicide missions, crazy things to accomplish their goals. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Sproul mentions here that perhaps two of the original 12 disciples were among the zealots. Um, Simon, we are told, was a zealot. There's a good reason to believe that Judas Iscariot uh, may have not have meant uh, Judas from a place called Iscariot, okay, it could have referred to the fact that Judas was one of the zealots. It could have been a different understanding. We don't know that for sure. It's just, it's a possibility. Um, Considering what happened with Judas, though, in his life, you know, if you thought he was of this kind of, this, if he was a zealot, it kind of makes sense that he would want to join Jesus' ministry early. Why? Because remember what they all thought. Jesus was here to get rid of the, he was going to overthrow the Roman Government. Remember the, the Roman occupation. Remember they, everybody thought he was a military. He was going to restore the kingdom in force and kick off, you know, kick out the Romans. Everybody thought that. So very, very possible that Judas thought the same thing. Um, and so he joined them and said, "Hey, now's our chance. We're getting ready to kick out, you know, the Romans." And of course, uh, during his ministry, he realized that was not at all on Jesus's plan. Um, and so he decided, "Hey, i still, I can still make some money off this deal." Uh, and you know, and we see the way Judas went. So anyway, what what we know about the zealots? These people here, these forty men, we know that they meant business. That's one thing we know. We know they meant business; they were willing to take a life. Um, Calvin even spent some time here talking. He um, he likened uh, the behavior, and this is of course Calvin's time, five hundred years ago. Uh, the behavior of some of the papists of his time. He likened their behavior to these guys' behavior. Because his point was, he, he's, he spent a lot of time talking about this, that the papers of his time were willing to do whatever it took to get rid of Calvin and his buddies, the, the fellow reformers. Okay, they hated them. And there were some folks who were, you know, they were dedicated to the Pope and to the Catholic Church, and they didn't care what it meant to get rid of these people. Uh, so he, he likened that behavior. Okay, if you ever read any Calvin stuff, he spends a lot of time talking about the behavior of the Papists of his time okay a lot of a lot of stuff there that is is um, in his in his commentary um, anyway they were zealous we know that yet uh, their zeal <coughs> was without knowledge and that is a very dangerous thing okay zeal without knowledge is a very dangerous thing um, they wanted to kill God's and uh, he wanted to kill Jesus' chief apostle here, Paul. He wanted to kill him, the anointed one. He wanted to kill them. And so they were zealous, they were zealous without knowledge, and um, they're in a pretty bad place. Uh, verse. Let's continue. Verse 15, it says, <clears throat> "Now you together now, now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So they were saying, we're going to set up an ambush, basically. And have him brought down, set up an ambush. When Paul comes, we're going to capture him, and we're going to kill him. That's, that's the plan. Now, they knew this action. This is why we talked talking about those, those suicide bombers and things. They knew this action to, to take on the Romans would cause heavy casualties for them. They knew the cost. Uh, but they were willing and they were committed to completely wiping out Christianity. And the influence of this apostle, the God's man, God's man is Paul. They they didn't matter. Some of us are going to die. It doesn't matter. We're going to take him out. That was their plan. And so they banded together, uh, called the Sanhedrin, and of course they agreed to this plan. Of course we know Paul escaped and he was protected. Uh, Verse 16 it says, So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now this is, interestingly enough, this is the first time we've heard anything or learned anything about Paul's family. It's the first time. Um, so what we do know about Paul's family is that at least he had one sister and his one sister had one son, at least. Probably it was more, but we know about a sister and we know about a son. Now, one detail Luke does not offer us is he does not tell us how uh, Paul's nephew heard about the plot. We don't know. We don't know how the nephew learned about this plot. Um, it's very possible that Paul's family, uh, once Paul was converted, it's very possible they disowned him. It's very possible that they disowned him. But it appears that throughout all of that, uh, that his sister and his nephew have remained loyal to, and faithful uh, to Paul. Uh, whatever the circumstances what we see here today in this in these verses is family sticking to each other okay they still may have some some you know some hard feelings about what Paul's doing but he's still family and we're going we're going to look out for him and so they have uh, they're, they're here um, and they're going to you know let this plot uh, be known uh, this is the only time we hear about the nephew this is it this is the only time the nephew's mentioned we don't hear anything else about him So what it says, Luke tells us that Paul told him to go tell the commander, which he did. And we know that Paul's life was spared. And remember, too, what has just happened. Okay, Jesus has appeared to Paul, overshadowed Paul, okay, met him in prison. And what did the Lord just tell him? He said, just as you've been my witness here, you're going to be my witness in Rome. So the Lord's already told Paul that this ain't the end. This is not the end here. There, there is more for you to do. Okay. So, um, it's interesting, uh, because again, we have a wonderful, a helpful comment, uh, from Calvin here about this, this plot of man, uh, this scheme that they have derived to, to, to get it. God's man. Um, and Calvin said here, we see in this place how the Lord doth cross the purposes of the ungodly. He permitteth them to attempt many things and he suffereth their weak, weak, wicked endeavors, but at length he showeth even in the twinkling of an eye that he doth from heaven deride whatsoever men go about upon the earth. Okay, Calvin's using his language, right? 500 year old language, but what's, what's he saying? God watches in heaven and God laughs at the plans of men. He okay, holds him in derision. He mocks them. God mocks men's evil plots as if they can do these things outside of God's sovereignty. And so we, again, his point was, God, you think you're hiding from God? You think you're coming up with a plan and this is not going to happen, you know? Uh, This is going to happen without God's involvement. Maybe you're going to try to sneak one in on God. Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. Well, we see that the commander sent four hundred and seventy troops okay <laughs> that's a lot of roman soldiers a four hundred and seventy that he sent to get paul out of the city and take him 60 miles north uh, to Caesarea. Um, there he says he would meet uh, the regional governor who was named felix uh, Luke also tells us they traveled, uh, 35 miles with the entire group, and once it was deemed safe, they were, far, they were far enough away from Jerusalem, uh, that the infantry went back and the cavalry continued on with Paul, is what Luke tells us. And then we see this letter that, uh, the commander wrote to Felix. And it's in verse 26. It says, to the most, where well, he gives his name, Claudius, to the, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. Now, so Felix has a title, the most excellent governor. Well, we all know that there were clear levels of social order within the Roman Empire. Of course, at the top was the emperor, whom basically treated as a god, right? Um, (coughs) uh, Under the emperor was the senate, and then you had the equestrian knights. The regional governors, of what Luke says here is um, who Felix was, uh, were given the title most excellent. That was their title of these uh, governors. Uh, so the commander was sending Paul to someone very, very high up on the food chain, okay, in the Roman Empire. This was, this was not a peon. This was a very high-ranking official within the, gov- within the Roman Empire. Verses uh, 27 through 29. It says, uh, This man, so this is his letter, This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. Now, notice how Claudius words his letter. Okay, He's not 100% honest here. Okay, he, he leaves out some details, right, of, of his encounter with Paul. Um, because what does he say? It says, I came with the troops and rescued him, having learned he was a Roman. Now, is that the way it happened? Is that the actual sequence of events? No, it's not the sequence of events, right? The sequence of events was what? He laid hands on him because okay, he this guy's about to get killed. He's got an angry mob. He has no idea what's going on. So he bound him, took him into custody and then later found out he was a Roman, right? But he left that part out because he's not going about to tell the, uh, you remember we talked about uh, the uh, issues with uh, charging or binding a Roman citizen without cause. He could be uh, punishable by death. Okay, so he conveniently leaves that out of this account that he sends towards uh, Felix. He did not mention, he didn't mention at all, that he had put Paul in chains before he found out that he was a Roman. He, did, he didn't mention that. He he kind of says, hey, I went to rescue him because he's a Roman. Well, again, conveniently left some of the details out. But anyway, uh, verse 30, it says, And when it was told to me that the Jews lay in wait for this man... I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. <clears throat> so we are told, um, then we're told about how Paul was delivered to Felix at a conversation. He was, uh, of course, Felix was the representative of the emperor of Rome uh, in this area. Now what do we know about Felix? Well, um <clears throat> we know uh, that he himself was actually born into slavery and was given his freedom uh, by the mother of Claudius or even Claudius himself, who is the emperor. Uh, His brother, Pallas, was also born into slavery. He was freed, and he also rose to a very high position, uh, similar to a cabinet-level position of the emperor. So two two brothers, uh, both born into slavery, both achieved very high positions uh, within uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, Felix had three wives. Uh, some of these, the, the wife, or his first wife, was the granddaughter of some famous people, um, Antony and Cleopatra. Antony and Cleopatra. So this is the daughter. The, the third wife, uh, Drusilla, was the daughter of King Herod Agrippa I. So you see the man Matt was, was, again, born slavery, Achieved a very high position, um, married into some big names, married into royalty. He's surrounded uh, by royalty. Um, So interesting, very interesting turn of events for this man, his life. Uh, We are told uh, by another historian, an early church historian, that Felix was known for his brute and his ruthless quelling of the insurrections. He was not a very gentle man. He was he he was a military man, and and he did not mind showing uh, any kind of force. It says when the Jews at one point rose up against the uh, while Felix was governor, regional governor. When the Jews had a rising up against the Romans, he completely wiped them out. I mean, done. Just quelled it. Just killed every one of the ones who uprise, who who uprose against. Uh, rose up against uh the romans the other another comment that the historian church historian made he comments that this is an interesting interesting uh, comment about somebody she said felix had the power of a king but the mind of a slave and the power of a king but the mind of a slave it's very interesting i i, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time myself thinking about the implications mm-hmm. of that but interesting in the way you see him and the way he uh performs his job uh, again all the power of a king with the mind uh, of a slave well uh, that's how this man felix went down in history um, and we know there's, there's um, another thing that uh, Spruel commented about was <clears throat> there's a lot of people who would challenge the biblical records you know about what's contained and the accuracy of it And we all know that luke was one of the if, if not the most accurate of, of all uh, ancient historians biblical time historians, but there's not a lot about Felix, but we have it here, okay, we have it contained here. Uh we have it in some other some other writings, but but as his place in history, what's written about him, okay, as he goes down in history, the things we find in the Bible and the other writings, uh it's obvious that the most important thing that ever happened to him uh, was his encounter with the Apostle Paul. One of the most important things that ever happened in this man's life was this encounter with Paul. We'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, uh, later, uh, in another lesson. But, um, <clears throat> verse, uh, 35, it says, and this is, uh, Felix, uh, talking to Paul. He says, I will hear when your accusers have also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. Now what's, okay, what's, what's, Felix saying here, as, as brutal as the guy was, okay, he's, he's ruthless, he's brutal, um, he was not willing, or he's willing to hear the case, but only when what? When his accusers can stand there, and face Paul himself. Um, not so, basically what Felix was saying, okay, until a representative from the Sanhedrin, come up here, uh, and state their case, then, then we're just, I'm just going to hold you. I'm not going to try you, I'll just, I'll have you here i will hold you, but there's going to be no trial until they can come because he's not just taking somebody's word uh, even the Romans again as brutal as they can be okay as some of the things that we know that the Roman Empire's done, even they believed that the accused has a right to face his accuser, and that's you know okay it sounds like common sense it's not awesome it's not always that common unfortunately um uh, but th- but this practice is a right and true practice. Okay, if somebody stands accused. You got a right to face your accuser. Um, <clears throat> and and um, Dr. Sproul added um, this. He says, and this is this is from Sproul's own life. He says, and this is why I pay no attention, absolutely no attention to anonymous complaints. It's, you can just imagine uh, Sproul, uh, a pastor of a church, and also a. Um, I don't know what his title was at Ligonier, but founder and CEO, whatever his type but, but ministry head right over a large ministry. He says he never would pay attention to any anonymous complaints. And um, he says this because basically is wrong. I mean, if you want to bring a complaint to somebody, you bring it. You. You identify yourself. I am here. And I am complaining, making a complaint on this person that they did this. And you have to, yeah, if you're willing to make a complaint, then you've got to be willing to own up to it and face it and be there, you know, and represent yourself. Um, I remember this happened uh, to it happened at my uh, job when I was still working in Columbia. Uh, somebody had sent an anonymous complaint on me about something. I remember what it was about. Uh, it was really, in their eyes, it was, I guess, it was big deal. When I read it, I was like, uh. it was from an anonymous email address. The email address was Joe Citizen. That's what the email address was, right? And so uh, my boss at the time called me and said, Hey one, I want to read you something. <clears throat> he had printed out the email and he let me read it. And and this is in it, it was again it's Joe Citizen email address, didn't sign by anonymous. He said, I just wanted you to see that. And then he took it and put it in the shredder and he said, Have a good day. And that was it. He had the same attitude. He said, If if I don't know what this is. I'm not even going to give it the dignity of anything, a response, because it's anonymous, right? Now we never heard anything else about it ever again. So, well, if, well, if he did, he never said anything to me about it, right? Uh, it was, if I remember right, it was really kind of a minor thing, but, but whatever. You saw his point. If you're not willing to sign your name to it, then I'm not. I'm not dealing with it. It's you got to be willing to sign your name. You want to bring an accusation, you got to sign your name to it. Anyway, uh, the um, Felix we see here is willing to hear the trial, but only when uh, the accusers can be there. Uh, even they understood this uh, principle here. And so we see throughout all of this, um, it, this is a, there's a lot here, okay? I know we kind of covered a lot of it uh, quick, but we see that. Uh, his imprisonment, his encouragement by uh, the Lord himself, um, This his ministry is not over. Okay, as, as we introduce this section thinking, okay, maybe this is the end. It's obviously not the end of his ministry. And so Paul was granted a right for his trial, which he will have. Um, so we have uh, about three minutes left. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Did I understand you that he was the brother of it was. No, no, ma'am. I didn't say that. <clears throat> he, um, he, ma- uh, I didn't say that. He married into royalty. It was, he had, now, he did have a brother. Okay. Pallas. I'm sorry. Pa- if I've said that right. P A L L A S. That was his brother. I don't know how to pronounce that. Not Pilate. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't say that. He had a brother who was also, uh, a slave who had also uh, risen to a very high place, similar to a, a cabinet-level position in the Roman Empire. <clears throat> thank you for clearing that up. Any other questions or concerns here? Anything you want to ask? We got to we're done a little bit early today. Thank you. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, we, as has been said, Father, there are so many ways that we can become distracted. Father, or maybe even discouraged. Father, but uh, we just remind us, Father, of the value of your word in in our lives. Father, remind us that you are the one that is at work and and you've called us to be obedient to your word. And Father, we are to leave the results uh, to you. Father, we are to be obedient every day and seeking to share the gospel and seeking to minister to others. Father, not knowing if we'll ever see the fruit. And Father, that's not what you called us to do. He called us to be obedient, and Father, you will handle that. And one day we will get to see you face to face, Father, and we'll experience that joy that is remarkable, Father. And we also know that every day we can experience that joy at some measure here too. And we just pray that you will continue to strengthen us and remind us to be constant in our ministry efforts here on earth while you have us here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.